Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and this guest that I have on today is a hardworking badass who has, like, her career trajectory is off the charts. I'm so, so, so impressed. She went from an assistant at the age of 18 to a design director at a different age. I'm not throwing out numbers here, Um, but she has worked her way up the fashion career ladder in the most amazing way possible. She has worked tremendously hard. She has put herself out there. She has been fearless, fearless, fearless. You're going to hear this threaded throughout her story, and it is so inspiring. Um, Oni came from... Not the best upbringing. She was adopted at the age of six. She was poor. She had to be scrappy to get by. Um, She talks a little bit about her childhood in the interview. And she just learned from a young age that you have to just go for it and work hard and get things done and figure it out. And I know those are not concrete answers. And that is a broad, sweeping, inspirational statement. But Oni shares specific examples and strategies throughout her fashion career that she has used to continue to grow and go from an assistant to a design director and absolutely crush it. Um, So much great insight and advice in our conversation. Also, spoiler alert, hopefully this comes to fruition. It should, Um, but Oni also does some career counseling and she mentoring and helps designers get their career on track or continue to prog- to make progress. We talk about it a little bit at the end, um, but she has so many insights on that that I actually invited her back to do another interview. So in the future, after this airs, you'll be looking for another interview from her where we're going to specifically talk about um, the career mentoring and and strategies that, that she works with designers and other fashionistas to help them get ahead in their career. So a lot of stuff to learn and gain insights from in her career, how she has grown. And then a future episode, we're going to talk more in detail about the career growth stuff uh, because there's so much more that she has to share and we did not have time to touch on it all in this interview. All right. So I'm going to just dive into the interview because I know that you guys want to hear from Oni and maybe not me blabbering in the beginning intro. Uh, Before we do that really quickly, though, I will, as always, remind you guys, SFD has so much more content to offer than just this podcast. I know the podcast is very valuable. You guys leave amazing reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they've decided to call it these days. Um, If you haven't yet, thank you so much for leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. But besides that, I have a ton of other free content to help you get ahead in your your fashion career, freelancing, your job, your fashion brand, tech packs, illustrator, all the things that you need to know for fashion. I have tons of free resources on those. Head on over to soheidi.com slash email to get access to all of those. Again, for free, it's soheidi.com slash email, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. Take 20 seconds, pause the episode and go do it now. You guys, uh, really, I'm telling you, there's a lot of valuable stuff there. Um, You can also give me a follow on Instagram. I hang out there as well at so Heidi. So connect with me there. I'd love to hear from you and say hello. All right, let's dive into the interview with Oni. Welcome, Oni, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Can you please start out by telling everybody who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Yeah, sure. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Um, my name's Oni. I'm a design director in New York, um, and I also coach people in New York City that are working in fashion and coming up in their careers. Um, and I specialize in the active wear realm. Awesome. So take us back to the beginning. Where did your career start? Did you kick off in fashion school or what were your early days like? Um, yeah, so I actually spent a long time in Los Angeles. That's where, um, I went to design school and I actually ended up there because I was a really poor kid and I had a lot of scholarships to go to school in LA. So that's how I, I ended up in Los Angeles. Um, and I went to FITM and I actually got my first job as a part-time associate at PCBG corporate while I was in school. Ah. And so I was 
lucky enough to have a job when I graduated, which I think is a really awesome thing. I was really fortunate in that way. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't supposed to turn into a full-time position. And my boss uh, really advocated for me. And he was like, we're going to find a way to purchase you and I'm going to find a position for you. Um, and so they purchased me from my freelance agency. And that's kind of how I landed my first time, uh, full-time gig. So I started in the industry when I was like 18, essentially. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. Wait, because did you graduate? (laughs) I hear you girl. Did you, (laughs) did you graduate high school early? And then how long was FITM? You were 18. That's crazy early. Yeah, I I was probably one of the youngest people in my graduating high school class, and then okay. I did an associate's degree, um, started working at BCBG six months before I graduated, uh, and so I was still technically a baby. I think I was the youngest person in the company for like a good five years, yeah. and then kind of adult life hit. What do you think, like, looking back all those years, what do you think were some of the reasons that you got that opportunity and then they fought so hard to keep you because that is not always the case for people. Yeah. Um, I think personally, I've always been really fearless in my pursuits. I grew up really scrappy. Um, I was adopted when I was six. I grew up in a really poor family. I raised my little sister and I learned at a really young age that you have to fight for the things you want. And so I would see a lot of uh, of the kids that I was in school with in design school, they were quitting and they were like, this is too hard. Or, you know, they would go on two interviews and they wouldn't get called back and they would be really discouraged and they would kind of, you know, stop applying to jobs. And for me, it was like, if I didn't have a job, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. That yeah. It was like do or die. So I think I've kind of always just approached everything with that, uh, that in mind to be yourself and be fearless in your pursuits of your own success. And so I really just, applied to maybe a hundred jobs and, um, I contacted two freelance agencies, not even knowing what I was doing really. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to send my resume to everybody. Anna Wintour, <laughs> here we go. You know, <laughs> uh, I was like, someone will give you a job somewhere. Yeah. And I was just lucky enough to find someone who, uh, really believed in me. And I think that's really important when you're such a baby in the industry. And so, okay. So you landed the opportunity at BCBG and then, um, do you know why they wound up like fighting so hard to, to buy you out from the freelance agency and keep you on staff full time, even though it sounds like they didn't really have a spot for you? I think it was two things. One, I was a really hard worker. Mm. Um, I came in not really knowing what I was doing. You know, you have such a skewed vision of what the industry is. And I think nowadays the school programming, the fashion design programs that we see kids go through are much well, more well-equipped to um, filter out creative individuals in the industry that are prepared for the industry. But, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't really like that. They were yeah. kind of like, oh, here you learn how to sketch a collection and, you know, illustrator, like, go, you're ready. And that's kind of how it was. And yeah. so um, I went in, you know, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, not really knowing what I was doing. And my boss had someone train me over three weeks um, and I helped build their vendor and construction manuals included um, with full like sketches and protocol and everything across all 14 brands that BCBG owned. That's a huge task. I totally, I can picture it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for someone straight out of school, you're like, I don't know anything. So I became really quickly familiar with not only everyone inside this 2000 person warehouse that we in Vernon that we worked at in the time at the time. Um, but I also learned a lot about construction and sketches and how to deal with people. And I think I learned a lot of valuable things and my boss didn't want to let me go. I think he was kind of like, well, I turned you into this really valuable asset. So like, we're going to keep you in the, in the company now. And I think he was just a good person and he put, and he really believed in me. And I think, um, to be honest, like there's a lack of people that really, uh, fight for the people that work for them. I think Mm -hmm. there needs to be more of that in this industry. So, um, I'm really indebted to him for that. Um, and grateful for that. So he, uh, worked with one of the other directors in the company and they bought me on and then they moved me to be, um, assistant to a design director after that. Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. Um, really quickly, because uh, we have a lot of sort of big, more beginner entry level people out there listening, can you just tell us in a sentence or two what is a uh, vendor and construction manual? 
Uh, sure. <laughs> so dependent on what company you work for, obviously it's different if you work for, you know, a huge conglomerate company or like a Nike or a mom and pop, it's obviously different, but typically there will be some sort of USG, which is your contractual agreement with your vendors. And then within that USG, there will be a construction manual and a label manual and shipping and receiving and supply chain manual that basically gives the vendor guidelines so that they know basically how how to utilize process um, within your company specifically. And then if they go outside of those guidelines, you know, it depends on the company, but they could get a fine, they could get a slap on the wrist. Um, so it's kind of like a balance and measure how to work with your vendors. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, so how long did you wind up staying at BCBG? Um, gosh, it feels like I don't even remember. I think it was like four years, okay. four and a half years, something like that. Yeah, I was promoted job. twice and then um, kind of decided that I had learned everything. And I don't know if this was right. Again, I was young and stupid, but I kind of had decided decided that I had learned everything I could there and I needed a change. Okay. And so where are we in, like, will you give a timeline? Are we in, like, 2010? Where are we? No. 2000. This is... So 20 years. Um... Roughly. 2006 maybe Six. okay Gosh, I'm okay. Just aging myself <laughs> that's okay I think I, I based on your numbers I think you and I are comparable age so don't feel bad um it's just a number it's just a number um okay and so so what happened did you start applying for other jobs or yeah I kind of just started tinkering around and interviewing I think I was more so curious about what is life outside of this company um, is there more for me than outside of this company? I think I've kind of always challenged that expectation that you have to stay at a job for 20 years. And, um, I think there's a lot of good to be said and done when you stay with a company for a really long time. But I think I also wanted different perspectives and I wanted different creative outlets and design perspectives. So I started applying and interviewing for, um, different positions. And then I kind of was, freelancing on the side, which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> but I really wanted to kind of prove to myself that I had viability as a designer and a creative designer outside of what I was already doing. Um, Meaning like then, a different category or? Yeah, like a different category, a different customer, um, a different challenge. I was working a lot within the European mass market consumer at BCBG at the time. So I was helping them revamp BCBG girls. And then they had a contract with Carrefour, which is like a, honestly, it's kind of like a grocery store slash target in Paris and Italy. Okay. Um, and so we were designing collections for them and I just felt like I wanted to see what else I could do, what else I was capable of. So I started freelancing for a couple different knit companies in Los Angeles, and then um, I got an offer from a company called Whitley Cross that they don't exist anymore, but at the time they were doing um, runway, and they were like the Mercedes-Benz sponsored, you know, runway line of whatever year it was, 2007 or whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of how I moved on from, um, from BCBG. So how did you go from... I mean, if I'm like hearing correctly, you're you're basically designing product to go into like let's say tar Carrefour, Target type of stuff, which is not high end. Yeah. yeah. And then you go to designing runway. How did you make that jump? Because a lot of people like you know they want to change category or something to that extent, and it can be hard. Yeah, you know it's really funny. I talk about this with girlfriends of mine still to this day, and some girls that I mentor as well, and. Um, I kind of have the belief, like, if you want to do it, you can do it. And that's the end of the story. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I've only done swim. I've yeah. only done pajamas. I've only done this. And I'm like, right, but you are capable of so much more. Are you not? So I think it's our job to show our perspective employers that we are capable of these things and if they don't know it we're you know you kind of have to shove it in their face and that's basically what I did is um, I created a project for these people before they asked for it I sent it to them and then yeah. I met with them and then um, I made them like me and yeah. then you know I kind of I met with the rest of their team their production team in New York and I made them like me and I showed them that I would be great at this job and I was great at it yeah um but I think you really have to push for those opportunities too so I love the assertiveness and it's definitely something I've heard on the on the podcast before of like just go in prepared with the project you know especially since you don't have anything existing in your portfolio that's maybe going to match exactly what they're looking for 
be proactive on that, and that's going to help you get further. Um, You mentioned twice in there you made them like you. Would, like, talk (laughs) a little, I love that line, but, like, what do you mean by that? How do you do that? I mean, that, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so I actually talk about this with my assistant a lot, um, kind of the skill of making people like you. And I talk about it with the girls that I mentor as well. And it's not to say that you're unlikable or that you have to force people to like you, but more so um, really encompassing those interview skills of being able to connect with people and not only connect with them and enable them to see your work and your creative skills, but connect with them in a personal way that tells them that you see and understand them for who they are, because there's all kinds of personalities in this industry and in the world in general, right? So I think at the end of the day, people really just want to be heard and understood. So if you can sit in an interview and let somebody know through conversation and body language that you hear and understand them while you're showing them how great you are at your job. I think that's really, you know, making them like you, making them see you. Um, And interview skills are so important. So I think that's definitely, definitely something that everybody should work on. Yeah. Could you give like a couple specific strategies that you would suggest or that you've used to, you know, use your body language or things you say in terms of like showing presenting your personality and and getting them to like you, like what are some specific things you could do to work on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say be over-prepared before an interview, right? So even if you get a friend or a mentor or your sister, your dad, whoever to interview you. Um, and then secondly, I would say be your genuine self. Don't go in there and sell them what something that they want because they're signing on to the person that you're going to show up as every single day. So be yourself. Um, I think people can feel if you're putting on that kind of interview act and people I think do want genuinity. Um, and yeah, I think those would be be the the two the two biggest ones yeah I love the over prepare thing because shockingly I hear from hiring managers and recruiters of about how many candidates like think they could just show up blindly which is like terrifying to me um but but people do this and it's funny because I before we hit record you guys I was talking to Oni and uh about another guest I interviewed on the podcast who she has a connection with um, Kristen Anderson also who worked at Adore Me and she was telling me about her interview to work at Adore Me and she was interviewing and it went great and she had done a ton of research and the next thing she knows the CEO comes in sits down and I don't know if it's the same guy that it was it is now but the CEO comes in and sits down and says so what do you know about me and she kind of was like oh god she had barely researched the CEO she didn't anticipate yeah. interviewing with him but she like knew just enough that she was kind of able to like talk her way through it Um, but you have to be prepared, prepared for those moments. Yeah, definitely. And I think she's talking about Morgan, who's still our CEO and he definitely likes to test people, which is (laughs) hilarious because he tested me too, but he's actually the nicest guy. (laughs) That's so funny because she totally said, she's like, yeah, he comes in and he just kind of sits in the chair all casual. It's like, what do you know about me? And she was like, oh God, I think she was really young and, um, but, but it, it, she knew just enough and she, and she got through. Um, I, so I love that advice. Um, okay. So you're at Whitley Cross. Um, you made them love you. You went in very, you know, over the, uh, overachiever style, however you want to frame it. You'd done the, the project in advance to show them you were capable of designing into their market. Um, how long did you wind up staying there? Um, I think I was at Whitley for like a year and a half or two, and then that is when the economy crashed. 2008, okay. Yeah. And so, so what happened? So I lost my job. This is this is obviously a, a romance tale. Yeah. So I, <laughs> um, so I lost my job, and I think in Los Angeles specifically, the entire industry changed, and it kind of never recovered after that. Yeah. Um, really, you know, the way in which companies were hiring, they started hiring people to do multiple positions. They stopped hiring less directors. Um, Salaries dipped a little bit for the next year after the recession. So it really did change the industry. Um, And again, like I was on my own in LA, you know, I was still in my early twenties and I was kind of like, well, I have to um, make it work, right? Like there's no, that's all it is. I have to pay my rent. Um, So I started doing 
random freelance gigs and um, odd jobs in the industry down to prints for men's ties. I did a presentation for the men's warehouse, had never even worked in men's before. Mm -hmm. Um, I was freelancing for a t-shirt company in Malibu. I was doing my own men's t-shirts and selling them not very successfully on Etsy. (laughs) Um, I was styling and making clothes for music videos on the side. I mean, I was just doing whatever I could. Yeah, just totally hustling to get by. Um, And then companies started hiring and I got a job at a company called Petrol Jeans, which I actually don't know if it exists anymore. Okay. I've heard Um, of them, but um, yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. They, I mean, they've had product in the buckle. They own a couple Western lines. Um, they did a lot of licensee products. Like at the time I was doing some stuff that they were licensing through Levi's, like all kinds of stuff. Um, I had no desire to design denim. So again, this is like a funny conversation about, you know, switching, um, switching roles and and switching gears from one mindset of product to another. But it was kind of like the industry was in such a funny space and I was like, I need a job. Um, so I met this guy and he was the owner of the company and I told him like, I've never done denim before. I've done a little bit, you know, when I was at BCBG, but I, I, I'm just going to be frank with you. Like I have no desire to like be a denim designer in 10 years, but I promise to work really hard and I will kill it. Wow. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought this was a good like interview tactic. I was like, like that kind of sounds like a odd strategy. <laughs> yeah. Like looking back, I'm like, that's not the right strategy to take, but I did end up getting the job, which is really funny. And (laughs) I did end up getting the job. And I think it was like, you know, one of those times where you're kind of like, okay, I need this job. I'm going to make the best of it. And I ended up learning so much, right? It's always, it's always that way. The job that you think that you're not going to end up loving, you're not going to end up learning anything. I ended up learning so much. I learned, you know, what kind of manager I am, how to be a better manager. Um, what I needed to learn in the industry, what I could actually take away from denim, um, what I was learning outside of denim. Cause they, they did also do like knits and wovens and that sort of thing. So it ended up being a really good experience at the end of the day. Um, I think I was there for two years and then, um, I started getting other job offers. So I started exploring other things and I knew it wasn't the, it, I knew it wasn't the job, but I was so grateful for everything I learned through that experience. So, like, where are all of these opportunities coming from? Because you mentioned that you did a bunch of freelance in between. And I'm curious, is, was that freelance, like, the permalancer style or, like, true freelance? Like, you were independently doing the projects <laughs> or showing up, you know, 9 to 5 but not getting benefits. And then um, and then you got this job at Petrol and then you just got this other job offer. Like, it seems to be a consistent pattern in your career. Where How, how are all these things, um, air quotes, you know, falling into your lap? Maybe you're hustling yeah. for them. I don't know. Yeah, I was a big hustler. So okay. <laughs> at BCBG, I got the job through an agency. I was also like, you know, applying everywhere and yeah. doing everything. Yeah. Um, when I was freelancing on my own, I literally, I mean, this was way back in the day, but I literally was just going on Craigslist. I'm not even joking. I would go on Craigslist <laughs> and I would apply to, you know, maybe 20 jobs a day that I would see on Craigslist, knowing that some were fake and some probably wanted to pay me $10 an hour. And maybe out of those 20 applications, I would get two responses and one of them would turn into a freelance job for 30 days or 60 days. But again, I think I was doing that and a lot of my friends weren't. So I was getting these freelance gigs through the recession when a lot of people were not working. And I think it was just the hustle. Okay. And then, okay, so then you did petrol, and then you said you got another job offer. Yes, yeah, so I uh, went to interview with BB, um, and they, surprise, surprise, wanted me to be a denim designer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, here we go, denim again. Did but you I have a lot really- of that in your portfolio from petrol? Yeah, I had a ton of it. Okay. Um, and BB at the time owned an off-brand called Tubi. And so I had heard really good things about this company. I had a friend that worked there. Um, they were in a really good part of town. They were in Century City, which, you know, if you've worked in the industry in L.A., you know everything is downtown or it's in Vernon or it's in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, parking's horrible. There's no, no, no good food to eat, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, Century City and it's a good company and good benefits. Let me check this out. Right. Um, so I did a ton of research on BB. And what I found out is that they had great success through their BB sport line. 
And I had a lot of interest in working in activewear. And so I told myself that I was going to go in and get this job, but the end goal was to work backwards and get a job doing BB Sport and revamping their BB Sport line. So that was my end goal. Okay. So I went into BB and, um, again, this was a denim designer position for their, their off brand. Um, I got the position, I launched a new denim line for them in the 2B stores and it was actually pretty successful, which was shocking to me at the time because again, I've had two years experience doing denim. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do my best and it was actually a success, which is great. Yeah, it's amazing. It's crazy, right? So then they asked me to do, um, okay, you did this denim brand. We're going to hire you another assistant. Can you now do um, woven bottoms and skirts for us? So I started doing essentially all bottoms and skirts uh, category for this off brand. Those started doing really well. So then six months later, my VP came to me and said, hey, you know, we're really thinking about adding swimwear for our spring and summer deliveries. Um, And I think this is something that you could be really good at because you have a really good eye for prints. Do you want to do swimwear? And I was like, sure, why not? At the time, I just thought more was better. I have a different perspective now. So I was like, (laughs) why not? I can handle this. So I started doing swimwear. Um, And it kind of just started adding on to my plate. Then uh, BB as a whole was seeing a lot of success in their outlet business at the time. I mean, most brands, most better level brands make most of their money in their outlet businesses. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it was even outselling the 2B brand, which was a mass market brand. And they had a lot of um, positioning in malls and such. So what they were seeing is that the redos of styles and outlets were actually outselling the the main brand in BB stores. And so I went and I created a pitch deck and I showed it to my VP and I told her, hey, I have this idea that we should create custom lines instead of, you know, just knocking off what BB was doing. We could create custom lines with better prints and cheaper fabrics and put it in the outlet stores and increase our margin and increase our sales revenue. And, you know, I was a designer. I wasn't a manager. I wasn't a director. I really thought that she was just going to kind of laugh in my face and she didn't. And she was like, this is a great idea. Why don't you start working on some things and show them to me and we'll see what we can do. Um, And so, you know, fast forward four or five months, um, I started working on outlet product and I started working on custom outlet product and it started doing really well. Um, And then I asked her, can I put a small capsule of activewear to test into the outlets? Um, And so we did a small capsule of of, um, activewear to test. And then it started to get attention from the main, the the VP for the mainline BB. Um, And eventually I got promoted and asked to be moved over to kind of help manage BB Sport and kind of revamp their logo division, which was essentially anything athleisure that had a logo, right? So things okay. like leggings, hookups, sweatpants, velour, sweaters, yeah. uh, casual dresses, all of that. Um, and this was part of my master plan, right? So I was like, perfect. You were like nailing it. <laughs> yeah. So um, – Long story short, I won't bore you, but I went in aggressively and was just like, I'm going to redesign BB Sport. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and it got a lot of attention. It got a lot of press. We did not have Eva Longoria like they did when they first launched, um, <laughs> but it did really well. And then, you know, eventually when I was no longer with the company, um, BB got bought out and they, you know, split up the offices between New York and LA. And I think they got rid, I heard they got rid of BB Sport for a while. So I'm not really sure what happened to it. But in in the meantime, when I was doing it, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about activewear fabrics and technologies and chemicals and wicking. And and I met, you know, a ton of activewear suppliers. I learned about fit and working in denim actually really helped me work on leggings and bottoms because leggings and bottoms typically have a higher um, revenue sell-through than tops in any other category. So not only was it helping me with fit, but it was helping me learn how to build an overall business, which was really great. Wow. So, I mean, I what I hear a lot in that story is the fearless factor was like coming up big. I mean, you we're like, oh, I think we should do this, and I think we should do this. And I'm, I think that a lot of people would be really terrified to put that pitch deck together and make that presentation or, you know, throw out this big, lofty idea. 
um, because maybe they're going to say no, or they're going to say it's a terrible idea. You suck. Um, but, and I, I probably imagine going back to your childhood and your upbringing, like you were just like, well, whatever, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have, I mean, it sounded like this perfect trajectory. Were there things along the path that you presented or like big ideas that you threw out that didn't, they didn't latch onto? Um, I think at BB, I was really fortunate and lucky and I keep using that word, but it's true. Like I was fortunate enough to have people that gave me the opportunity to show them what I could do. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me to do that. I think in the beginning, um, when I came on for BB sport and I was like, this needs a revamp. We're going to totally redo this. Everyone was really like the manager at the time that was overseeing that division was really like, okay, this girl's wild. She just thinks she's going to come in and like redo everything. Yeah. Um, but I think that's how people's, um, behaviors are in general. They're adverse to anything that's new or sure. unknown to them. Right. Sure. Um, so I think that took a little bit of time, but in the end people were like, Oh wow, she's really passionate about this. And you know, it got to the point where whenever we launched a new line, I would send out a monthly recap, like including the entire company. Cause we would present to the CEO and the COO and, um, the partners and everything, I would send out a recap of like what's happening in the activewear world and here's the new collection and this is why the colors are this. And I was really into it and I still am into it, but I was really into it. So, um, I think you just have to be really passionate and willing to kind of put yourself out there and be vulnerable when you really want to see something through. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. So um, you said another thing, and I, I was trying to dig through to see if there was any big failures in there because I think that that can, you know, it's like, oh, did you try three times? And then, you know, it's, it can be hard to pick yourself back up from those and present the next idea because uh, they haven't taken the last three. Um, but it yeah. sounds like, you know, things worked out. Um, but beyond that, you mentioned something to the extent of, I just, you know, thought I could do everything and I wanted to do everything. I was doing denim and swimwear and knits and all these other things. Um, and you said, I have a different philosophy now. Can you talk a little bit about what you meant by that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think now as a director, especially, you know, I specialize in starting new businesses. That's really what I'm good at. And I think in order to do that, you have to have one clear concept and idea and know exactly what the white space opportunity is and know exactly what consumer you're selling to and how you're going to sell it. Now, is it going to happen exactly how you, you know, pave the way? No, no, there's always bumps and especially in a new brand, you hit so many challenges, you hit so many failures along the way. Um, but I think having something that's smart, concrete and tight actually speaks better than to having a ton of, ton of ideas and a ton of things. It's kind of like, like, here's a metaphor. Okay. So when you meet a guy or you're out or you meet someone and they give you a business card and it says, I'm senior director of marketing for X, Y, and Z versus somebody that says, you know, I'm a marketing director slash DJ slash, you know, entrepreneur <laughs> slash you have more belief and hope in actually, you know, achieving something with one concrete idea. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me a long time to learn that. I happened to be lucky in that one position where I was able, you know, given the room to play and able to be successful in different avenues. But I don't think that's the norm. Um, I certainly don't approach business that way now. Yeah. But I think that it was amazing for me to really, um, be able to dip in all these different categories in fashion, because typically as a designer, you are given one lane and you're kind of asked to stick to that lane. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you, as much as you were lucky and fortunate to get some other opportunities though, you definitely were asking for them. Yeah, for sure. I have always kind of, um, had the thought process that if you don't ask, you won't receive. Yeah. And, um, I never approach anything with the idea of necessarily more, more, more like what I have now isn't good enough, but more so like 
can this be better? Yeah. And so if I couldn't make the position I was in better and I couldn't make it, you know, better for the output of what I was creating into the world, I wanted to find something else that was better. And I think that's a lot of the reason for me moving on to different positions as well. Yeah. So then what came next after BB and and doing all sorts of stuff with them? So after BB, I really uh, concretely decided that I was an activewear designer. Okay. Um, I, at this point, had worked on dresses, swim, denim, pretty much everything, everything. every category. Yeah. Um, the only thing I never really deep dived in was woven tops, but I had pretty much worked on every category and I loved activewear because I felt like it was much easier to create a beautiful gown, um, or or a runway piece or a, you know, a sexy swimsuit than it was to make an interesting activewear piece that was actually functional, actually comfortable and had some real use and technology to it. So I kind of, you know, geeked out on that stuff really hardcore. Um, and someone recommended me to a position in San Francisco with a startup company called Tesh Sports. Um, and it was a bunch of guys from Nike and Adidas. And I think there was only one other woman in the entire company. I was the only female director, um, the only female leadership. And I had just gotten out of a relationship at the time. And I was thinking about where to go from BB and I really need to chase into activewear, but I'm not sure if I want to work for a giant company like Nike or something. So like, where do I go? And I think it was perfect for me at the time because I was like I need to get out of LA I really need to explore what I'm capable of so I went I moved to San Francisco um I picked up me and my dog and I moved to San Francisco (laughs) and um I helped launch a brand for Tesh Sports and I was overseeing men and women's design um along with accessories and um marketing And we also helped, um, we worked closely with Marshawn Lynch. We helped him with some of his um, women's apparel in the beginning before he hired his own team. Um, And it was great. It honestly was such a great experience. Um, I wish it had never ended. (laughs) Wow. But but it ended. (laughs) It ended, yeah. What happened? We had, um, it's such a long story. We would need a whole, a whole separate podcast for this, but <laughs> we had essentially, and I, I won't speak, uh, too in detail about it for legal reasons, but we essentially had, uh, corrupt investors. Uh, um, so, you know, it was a dream for a year and, you know, you had all these really successful guys that had worked with, you know, pro athletes creating, um, you know, football tennis shoes. And we had, you know, the guy that created like the first ever basketball program at Nike at our company. And everyone was just like all in, we eat, slept and breathed this company. And we called it the dream team. And like, we just, we all loved it. We loved the job. We loved each other. And it was great. Um, but it was a big lesson because I think a lot of investors are corrupt. There's, there's a lot of amazing investors out there, but there's a lot of not so amazing investors out there. Um, So that lasted about a year, year and a half. Um, And then I got an offer from a company in San Francisco called Third Love. They wanted to launch an activewear brand. The bra company? The bra company, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, They wanted to launch an activewear brand. And I had recently traveled to New York on a whim. And I'm trying to keep this short as not to bore you. But um, (laughs) I recently traveled to New York on a whim and just really felt like my heart was in New York. And I had always wanted to live there. And I wasn't that big of a fan of San Francisco. So that was a big part of it. Um, And when I came here, there was a career fair. And one of my girls that I was with was looking for a job. And and she was like, will you go to this career fair with me? I was like, sure. And this this is in New York? This is in New York. Okay. Yeah. Um, so at this point I 
was already, I had already accepted a position with third love, um, to launch this new brand for them. I went to this career fair with my girlfriend and if you've ever been to these career fairs, especially in New York, it's basically like they don't allow you to just stand in the building. You have to either go in the fair or you stand in the cold. So I was like, let me go into the fair. Um, I ran into a couple people I know, and then I saw some really interesting job postings and I was like, I'm going to go talk to these people. What else have I got to do for the next two hours? You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I talked to a few people and when I landed back, um, in San Francisco, I had to start my next day at third love and, um, really just went into the job really feeling sad that I had left New York. Um, and I went into my first day and, um, the vibe and the energy of the company was just really not for me. It was not a good fit. I think it was very, um, male centric. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking for. And my gut instinct was really telling me, you know, before you get invested into this company, um, I think maybe you should step away because this isn't, this isn't the best option for you. Um, so I had to make a choice to leave. And so I told, I told their love that I was, I was not accepting the position on that um, first day on my first day. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I make a habit of it now. You know, when I interview with companies, I ask to speak to people that work for the company. So, you know, when I went in to interview with the dormy, I asked Morgan if I could speak to some of the girls in the office and, um, I asked them about culture. I asked them if they were happy. I asked them if they felt like they had equal opportunity as women in the company. Wow. Um, I asked them a bunch of questions and I think Morgan's willingness to allow me to do that spoke volumes to me because some companies don't want you to do that. Um, I actually think that that, like from a executive level or, you know, whatever position that person's in, that would be very attractive to see in an employee. Like I want to make sure that, yeah, you guys want me, but I also want to make sure this is a good match for me because that means that you're going to be a better employee. I, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. Like it shows interest that you care and that, and that you want to be surrounded in a good environment by good people, Yeah, you know? So I think that was a big turning point in my career and a big lesson for me, like, you know, ask more questions. It's okay to ask more questions. And I think sometimes as a woman in business, especially when you ask a lot of questions from the beginning, it does irritate people. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't expect it, but I think that it, it, you have to, you have to know, you know, what type of situation you're walking into, especially if you are going to be a partner or you're going to launch a new business for somebody. I think it's really important. So I always do that now when I, when I interview with companies, I'm like, let me speak to two or three of your employees. Yeah. Um, so I, I turned it down and I didn't have a job <laughs> and, and where, where lived, are we at? What year is this roughly? Uh, I think this is 2015. Okay. Um, I might be like a year off here. Okay. I have a grandma memory about That's all right. this stuff. So okay. this yeah, is yeah, yeah. Ball, okay. ballpark timing. <laughs> um, so I started to get, um, emails literally the next day after I left, um, third love, I started thinking about what to do. I was like, do I move to New York? Do I go on a whim? This is kind of what my gut is telling me to do that. I belong in New York. I don't know why, but I just feel like I I belong there. Or do I move back to Los Angeles? You know? Um, so I spent like kind of a day mulling over these things and I checked my email and I had two emails, um, in my inbox from companies that I met at the career fair. And one of them was a job offer, just a straight up job offer. After just Um, like chatting with them at the career fair. Yeah. Wow. So I, um, I called them and we agreed to, uh, a contractual employment, which means you're not a full-time employee, but you're not a freelancer. You're a contractual employee essentially, which is more unheard of, I feel like, but it can be done. Um, and that essentially gave me the ability and the power to move across country with my puppy, um, to New York and start in this position kind of, um, as a consultant, as a, a senior director, consultant, senior manager, consultant, whatever you want to call it, but knowing that I had the ability to leave. Um, and so I went to work for DKNY at G3, um, And I didn't really know anything about the fashion industry in New York. It's actually extremely different than Los Angeles. Los Angeles is much more laid back. 
um, New York is kind of hit or miss. You'll either find these amazing companies that you can work for, or they're a lot, a lot of times like very old school Garmento, or they're huge conglomerate companies that don't necessarily, um, treat their employees very well, just to be frank. So I didn't really know what I was walking into. And I think, um, that this was also a great learning experience for me because I had never worked in New York before. And so this is kind of a slap in the face to the industry in New York versus the industry in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, so I went to work for, um, G3 and, uh, I won't say too much for legal reasons, but it was not the right working environment for me. Okay. So when, when my contract was up, I decided to leave. Um, and then I spent the next maybe year, um, working contractually freelance through a lot of big agencies, like, so, you know, 24 seven for all freelance agencies. So I worked a little bit for target. Um, I worked for an activewear line that, um, creates activewear for, uh, Muslim women so that they have to wear scarves over their head. I freelanced for a company that's based in Vietnam and they're doing, um, uh, shorts and activewear with special pocketing. So I did like so many different projects throughout the course of this time. And I learned again, a lot about the industry in New York and it kind of really taught me, um, what type of companies to work for, what type of companies not to work for, what type of questions to ask, um, why you should ask those questions. And I, I felt like it took me a couple years to really stamp my ground as a manager and a director in New York City. What type of questions would those be? Um, I would honestly just go in and ask them, you know, so what type of working environment is this? And I, if I was interviewing with, um, a VP most of the time, I would, I would ask them questions about their teams and their employees to kind of gauge how much they actually know about their teams and their employees. Interesting. Um, I would ask them what kind of hours they worked and I would see how they responded to those questions. Um, Sometimes they would, you know, stumble over the question and then I would ask them again and they would say, well, you know, we've been working later hours recently and I would make a couple phone calls to people I knew within the company and then I'd find out that they were working till midnight every night, you know? Oh, so I think yeah. it's really important to, it's really important to do your research. How, you know, you were speaking about that earlier, do your research about the company and do your research about the CEO, but it's equally as important to do your own research about who you're working for, what kind of team, um, and what kind of moral ground is that team standing on in general. Yeah. So I imagine then you found your opportunity at Adormi, at, uh, roughly along those lines? Yes. So before Adormi, I went to Under Armour for a year. Oh, um, okay. Moved to... In moved Baltimore. To Baltimore. Yeah, in okay. Baltimore. Yeah, so I was actually born in Baltimore. Oh. I did not grow up there. Um, I It's a very long story, but I told you I was adopted when I was six. So yeah. I was born in Baltimore, um, and I thought it would kind of be a cool adventure going back for a year or two. I was like, okay, I'm only going to be here for a couple years. I'm going down as a senior manager. This is going to be great. Um, and, you know, I had heard things to the, the industry. It was a very male-centric company and it wasn't innovation forward. Um, the interview process, they kind of talked a lot about bringing, bringing more women into the company and bringing innovation to the forefront. And I really took a chance and I was like, let me see what this is about. It was not for me and that's okay. And I think <laughs> it's okay to know what's, what's not for you. Like yeah. from all these experiences, like I really know that um, I want to work for companies that support women. I know that I don't want to work for companies that make their employees work every night until midnight in the office, you know? So I think people, a lot of times are scared to say these things. It's like a taboo. They don't want to say it out loud. You know, oh my gosh, it's not for you, but you have to stay at your jobs for, you know, 10 years and you have to have, you know, job continuity. And I think it's really important to speak to the things that you need in your career to be happy. Um, so I fulfilled my one year contract and I said, thank you very much. And I actually had planned on moving back to, um, Los Angeles, but I had a recruiter contact me on LinkedIn out of the blue. Um, his name's David from Callahan recruiters. He's a great guy. And he was like, you know, your resume is really interesting. It looks like you have a lot of experience in sort of like this startup realm, kind of like starting new lines and new brands. I really want to talk to you about a new opportunity. And I had kind of made up my mind that I was moving to L.A. So I was like, oh, OK, fine. 
Um, and so I took his call and he told me about the job for Dormy and they wanted to, um, launch a new activewear brand, athleisure brand. Um, and would I be interested? And I told him, honestly, I was like, look, I'm probably going to move back to Los Angeles. <laughs> um, I would be happy to talk to them. I never shy away from an interview. Um, but I'm just letting you know, like I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to move back to Los Angeles. Um, so after talking to him for about an hour and a half, he convinced me to take the train up to New York, um, and meet with them. And so I, I took the 4.30 a.m. train up to New York to meet with the Adormi team, and that's when I met with the CEO, um, and I found everyone to just be honestly genuine and kind and themselves, um, and I first interviewed with Helen, who is our chief creation officer. She's my boss. She's also my friend. Yeah. Um, uh, Kristen had, mentioned her as well. <laughs> yeah, she's just the kindest soul, right? And I think it's so hard to find female mentors in this industry. And I definitely think of her as one. She's just such an amazing person. And I feel lucky to work for her. Um, so I met with her and I met the CEO and then I asked them, can I meet, can I meet with some of your team members? Can I, can I interview them? Because I didn't want it to be the same situation where I was walking into a company. I had learned that lesson several times over. Um, I'm sure, you know, as well, like this industry is very hard, you know? So, I was like, I want to make sure if I'm moving back to New York, it's really for a job that I love. So I, I interviewed three people um, and I listened to what they had to say for over an hour. Um, and then I went to leave and Helen invited me to stay. It was the company's monthly birthday celebration that they do. So I stayed and ate cake with, you know, 60 people I didn't know. <laughs> um, and then I went back down to Baltimore and I you know, again, thought I was going to be moving back to California. And it just so happens that I ended up back in New York. Wow. And so when did you story? No, no, no. It's (laughs) great though. It's really, I mean, your, your career is very impressive. Um, but I think that, you know, you've, and, and there's always luck and fortune in, in these stories, but there's also a lot of things that you've done. Some of them may be conscious. Some of them may be just because that's the type of person you are that have gotten you to where you are. Um, so when did you when did you start at Adormi recently? Um, I think I've been there over a year now. So oh, I okay. started last June. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So like right about yeah, yeah, yeah it's June yeah, twenty twenty when we're recording. Um, so I'd love to like. I mean, you've pointed out a lot of really specific strategic things that you've done throughout your career, being fearless, um, putting yourself out there, asking for what you want, doing your research um, on many levels that have allowed you to get to where you are, being very, very hardworking, so, so, so important, um, which a lot of people are not. Um, (laughs) But um, I'm really curious to know, because you said you also do some mentoring, Um, and I think I have in my notes before our interview that you're working on a book. Is that right? Yeah, I I wrote a book actually. Okay. Is it available already? It's not available. So I, it's done and edited and I was going to start shopping agents and then the world blew up. Ah, Um, so I talked to a couple that had read it before and they were interested in it and they basically were like, your work is great, but we just can't shop anything new from an unknown author right now. Mm, I understand. Um, but that's definitely a different outlet for me. So I definitely at some point go, going to continue to okay. uh, see what's there. Yeah. Well, when when you do get it published, well, you'll have to update us so we can add it to the show notes um, so everybody can check it out. But I can you talk a little bit, and I only have a couple minutes before we have to wrap up, but can you talk a little sure. bit about, like, from a hiring manager's perspective, your d- director level now, I, I imagine over the years you've you've done your fair share of interviewing on the other side of the table and the hiring yeah. process. What are some things that you, and maybe like out of the box things or, or things that are less common to see or talk about, but things that you've seen um, candidates do that really make them stand out in your eye, um, whether it's, you know, just from the resume and the portfolio, like getting their foot in the door to the interview, like what are some things yeah. that you're really looking for and that people can use to, to stand out right now? Um, that's a great question. I would say, well, first and foremost, I notice personality. Um, I think at the end of the day, we all want to work, you know, with people we love, especially at a dormy. 
I'm the director of new brands. All we do is we launch new brands. So we're working crazy hours and we need people that can bond and talk and like each other. Right. So I really look for, um, a great, a great personality that I connect with. Number one, number two would probably be willingness. Um, it's again, it's that hustle. If I really sense that willingness and that hustle in somebody like I want to do a great job, I can't believe we're doing a new brand. I'm so excited to work on this. Um, and again, from a genuine place, if you don't feel that way, then don't act that way. But if you are pumped to like start this new brand with a new technology and it's sustainable and it's awesome. Yeah. You know, like that's great. Like everyone on my team is genuinely so excited about what we're doing. Um, so those would probably be my top two. Um, I think portfolios, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. It depends on how much experience the person has. If they're just out of school, I don't really, um, pay as much attention to the portfolio because I'm going to mold that person to be the kind of assistant that I really want them to be. Mm. Um, however, I do think that you should really have your portfolio prepped for whatever company you're going into. So if somebody's interviewing with me and they know they're working on a sustainable, better level activewear brand and a mass market activewear brand and your entire portfolio's dresses, that doesn't really you know, that doesn't give me any insight to your design aesthetic around activewear and athleisure. So I do think it helps to prep your portfolio. So those would probably be my top three. Okay. I love the enthusiasm one too, because, um, so I'm working on, uh, well, it, by the time people listen to this, it will be released, but, um, literally right now finishing up a course on resumes and cover letters and people had have a lot of questions about how much personality should I infuse into my cover letter? I'm like a lot, like put yourself in there. And if you are excited about the position, let them know that you're excited. Um, I think a lot of people are really scared to come off as desperate and I, you know, I'm kind of saying, if you're genuinely excited about the opportunity, then put that in your cover letter and it should actually feel fairly easy to write. Like just write genuinely, authentically telling them why you're so excited and why you could do such a great job for them. And they're going to, you know, you as the hiring manager, you're going to feel that when you read it. And then you're also going to feel it authentically in the interview. Um, it's very hard to fake that. I mean, I may, maybe just for me, I'm, I'm not, I, I have no poker face, um, but like, <laughs> I, I don't have a poker face either, but yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Okay. So like you want to <laughs> yeah. see in the, in the application process, you want to see them being themselves and then being excited, not dear hiring manager. I'm applying for the blah, 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 blah. blah and you're like, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, the biggest advice I could give anyone new in this industry or just in general in life, right. is to be fearless in your pursuits. Yeah. Don't lead with fear. Don't lead anything you do with fear. Yeah. Lead with positivity. Be fearless and just always go for it. Yeah. I love that. That's a great high note to end on. Um, to wrap up, I'd love to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing that nobody asks you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? One thing that nobody asks. Hmm. I wish people would ask, what is the fashion industry actually like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that covers a lot of ground, I feel like. That is, yeah. That's definitely, we've yeah. gotten that answer before, and I think it's it's a really good lesson um, to share with people and a good question for people to ask who are thinking about going into the industry but haven't quite you know, decided to go that direction to explore. Is this actually what I want? Um, and if, if you guys out there listening, have listened to a fair amount of the episode, these episodes, you know, it's not frolicking in fabric all day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, wonderful Oni, where can people connect with you and find you online? Um, you can either go to my website, sofitsofresh.com. Um, I have links on there that talk about the mentoring that I do as well as my resume, or you can find me on Instagram at Onikai, O-N-I-K-A-I. Awesome. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to hear your story and your amazing career. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Have a great one. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. You guys, having you here, listening to these shows is continue to be so much support and the reason we keep creating the shows for you. Um, if you have already left us a review on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. We really appreciate those. And if you haven't, please take 30 seconds to do that. It really means a lot for the show and helps us grow and reach bigger audiences. I also want to give a big shout out and thank you to my husband, Mark, as well as my right-hand gal and SFD, Tara, who helps so much with the podcast, uh, everything, coordinating the guests, making sure it gets published, the graphics, the show notes, all the things. She does so much behind the scenes to make this happen. So thank you, Tara. You are a badass. Um, and again, thank you for, to you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Also, quick spoiler, um, I reached out to Oni after we did our interview and asked her if she would be willing to record another episode specifically on the career uh, mentorship stuff that she does because she has so many great tips and strategies on getting ahead. And now that she's been in a position to hire and actually vet candidates, um, she wants to share all of her insights that she has to help you guys out there, whether you're trying to get a job, find a better job, grow or advance your career. We're going to do a whole nother episode on that. So watch for that in a future episode. Um, besides that, if you want to learn about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, scroll down to check out the show notes. And again, thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.